One of Rick's API vendors shut down his account without warning, which throws a wrench in his productized service. This week, we discuss how he should respond. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? I uh, I had a little bit of a failure. <laughs> um, you and me both, man. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get to yours. <laughs> Mine's not quite as big as yours. I uh, I was interviewed by Mixergy, um, which for people who don't know is like a, I don't know if it's like a podcast or a, like I, I, in the past when I was a consumer of it, like video series, but it's kind of interviewing startup founders and it's really a uh, pretty big um big audience just learning about the stories of entrepreneurs. And I followed a lot when I was early on in my career and I was really excited to be interviewed on it. And I just don't think it went well. <laughs> oh, why not? Um, I, well, part of it, I, I think entirely me, like I think a- Andrew Warner is the person who does the interviews and I, it'll probably be fine. Like every time I think I bomb something, other people aren't quite as harsh as I am, but like, I think I'm really bad at the founder story type of interview. That's totally what that is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And so take, take me back to where, where did this idea come from, Tyler? Right. And so if you, if you zoom back to our, what is this episode 102 or whatever. So two episodes ago, we did our hundredth episode and we talked about podcasting and what we'd learned and stuff. And one of the things both of us said is like saying, I don't know to something is important and like something we both think we got better at, but it didn't translate to that type of, like in that format. They expect every single thing to be insightful and interesting. And I feel that pressure to like, so one of the questions he asked that I just regret my answer to so much, he was like, so you went a long time in anonymity. Like you didn't have, you you weren't active on Twitter. You didn't have a podcast. And then like in year 11, you started doing all this stuff. Why? And the the reality is like, I have no fucking idea. I just wanted to. And like (laughs) you suggested it. And I was like, sure, you know. But I like struggled to come up with some, how does this fit into the story? And I was like, well, being a founder's lonely. And and what I said is just like, it's not a lie, but it's just uninteresting and only sort of true. And I just the whole interview, I, I honestly don't remember most of what happened 12 years ago and all the questions were about that. So I don't know. I don't think it's a very good interview. <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. Um, I, uh, I actually subscribed to that. So I'll look forward to seeing it pop up in my latest episodes feed. Cool. Yeah, I have no idea what the turnaround time is. It could be a while or maybe he, maybe they they pump, he seems to pump stuff out, man. Yeah. Is, are there like multiple interviews a week? That's kind it of the impression like I get. It, it yeah. seems like it. I don't I usually listen to like the first 10 minutes just to get an idea of the business because sometimes they're interesting businesses to just hear about how these people are making money. But mm-hmm. I, once it gets into the weeds about that, like, so take me back. I'm just like, OK, yeah, I can only I'm hear torn. so many of those. Like, should I be doing these? Because, like, on the one hand, I think it is a good way for people to find out about me and less annoying serum, and it's super easy. There's, like, no prep work at all. But on the other hand, like, I almost never feel good about the end product. I mean... How could you answer that? I know. (laughs) (laughs) You tell me, man. I'll probably keep doing them. (laughs) (laughs) You you probably get better at them. I mean, one thing that sales, uh, more sales bent... CEOs have in their uh, favor is that when you meet someone and you're trying to sell them, you're always telling the story. And so there's this sort of repetition that comes with like every day, repeating the story, repeating the story, repeating the story. 
And so getting on a podcast like that is just like, like what, what that person does every day. Whereas, I mean, Mm. do you, do you, you probably don't tell the story over and over again at the office. No. Well, and that actually, I think that's, that gives me so much clarity on what I, not just that I'm bad at that type, but like what I'm good at. And I think when people say they like following me and tell me why it's cause I'm like, I'm admitting when I don't know stuff and I'm kind of like making a mockery of the whole thing because I think it's a joke. And I, I feel too performative on those types of interviews where I'm like, they don't want me to say, well, that's a dumb question, you know? That, and that goes back to a lot of the, the sales, sales focused leaders. They're, they are, they're working, they're telling that story. It's a, it is a, it is a performance. Yeah. Um, and so it fits that style better. Hmm. Okay. Actually, I like that because all that tells me is, you know what? It's not supposed to be like this podcast. It's okay if it was performative and some of the answers I gave were were mediocre. That's fine. Yeah, I think I just realized that too. If you're going on a story podcast like that, it's a performance. It's a story. Yeah, tell a story. Yeah, right. tell a story. Yeah. We you know, we should know this because our, our former boss slash mentor, Paul Zane Pilzer, I mean, some of what he says might be an outright lie, but most of what he says is the truth, but told in a very interesting way, right? As he's building a narrative and he's like, a we both a saw that. Yeah, we saw that first and it works. So, okay. I, I feel better. I feel better. Yeah. Yeah. I just need to get better at it is all. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the thing. I think that's the difference is it's not something you do a lot. So it's, yeah. it doesn't feel natural, yeah. but I'm sure it came, I'm sure you can tell, most people can tell their story and that guy seems like a pretty good interview. I can't wait to listen oh, to it. He, he's a great interviewer. Yeah. He, he, yeah, he does like more research than anyone who's ever asked the that type of interview for me. Anyway, uh, what's going on with you? Well, uh, I r- kind of realized this weekend that my old routine isn't coming back. Uh, my <laughs> <laughs> now that I have a kid, so um, I I, I kind of realized that I was living the definition of insanity, where it was like going <laughs> through each week, rescheduling my days, not doing what I wanted to do. And then thinking that would change the next week when the baby grew up. (laughs) (laughs) Be a teenager next week. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I finally sat down on Sunday and just total. I spent like all morning like, okay, what do I want to accomplish every week? How can I get this done given my new, you know, parenting responsibilities? Um, And then all, you know, what, what, you know, what I had to do is cut some things. Um, And so- so I want to yeah. hear more about this. Talk yeah. about prior to, you seem to have had a moment of clarity or whatever. Prior to that, like what specifically were you thinking would happen and how did that differ from reality? I think often, I don't know exactly. I don't think it was conscious, but I think a lot of times big things change in your life and you, instead of reacting to it right in the moment, you go, you go oh, I'm going to see how this plays out. And usually you wait too long to adjust to the new normal and you kind of this chaos starts to build and you don't feel good. And finally it gets to a point where you're like, okay, this sucks. I got to do something about it. And then you fix it. And then you're like, oh my God, this is so much better. I'm going through that this week. Um, what was, what was I thinking? I just, I don't know. I, th- I think, uh, I think I thought that it would get better. I don't know. I thought I could maintain the same schedule and, yeah. and it, Clearly, that wasn't going to happen. In so, what are you what are you changing specifically? The biggest change is shifting. Um, I usually work out at four to from four to five or six um, in the evenings. That's not happening. Um, I watch for a lot of re- reasons, so I'm shifting that to five a.m. in the morning. <sighs> so, I wake up at five a.m. I go to the gym, 
and then uh, get back in time to get out. You know, I'm, I'm sort of first shift with Ollie. So I grab him and feed him. And then I put, once I'm done feeding him, he goes back to sleep, um, which is around eight 30. I start my day. And, uh, but I've already taken care of by that point in time, some of the most important things for me, time with kid and workout. Yeah. I hear you hear this advice in different ways, but like do the most important thing first so that if, if something gets pushed back, it's not the most important thing. I don't think for most people getting a couple hours of exercise is the most important thing, but for you, you can't function without that exercise. It's so important to me. And it, yeah, it, it affects it. It makes everything I do in life better. Um, and then I also, what I, because I pair working out with consuming podcasts mm. and learning, it's, it's, if I don't, work out. I also don't get to do some of the other things I love because of that temptation bundling stuff that we talked about on a previous episode. So yeah, I feel good about it. I'm on day two and I'm exhausted. (laughs) So we'll see how this goes. Uh, Were you you waking up at five before? uh, Yes and no. Um, Sometimes I would, but I would not really do anything because I knew I had to grab the the baby. And so I would drink coffee and I would read and not get anything done. Gotcha. I just like on the topic of exercising and listening to podcasts, I got the Peloton earlier this year. I love it. I'm working out more than ever. But something that I don't like about it is like you're watching an instructor talking to you the whole time. So you can't really listen to podcasts with it. So it it has messed with my podcast consumption. <laughs> mm, that's cool that you're doing that. How, you do it daily? Uh, three times a week is my goal. And what uh, do you do you find it hard to make yourself do it? Or like, is it is it is the gamification working? Yeah, it's working in the sense that I'm doing it. I don't yeah. like it. Like, I feel like with you, when you get in the zone and you're pushing hard, you're like, yeah, this is what life's about. Yeah, yeah hell yeah. With me, I'm like, <laughs> when is this over? I can't wait for this to end. I want to go just not do this. <laughs> but I'm, I'm doing it yeah, is the yeah, point. <laughs> that's good. That's good. And, and to be honest, like half the time, that's what working out is for me too. But mm. it's the, you know, most of the time it's not that way. Yeah. It sounds like, like it's people, always like that. Well, people talk about a runner's high and I, I like legitimately think everyone's lying about it. I'm like, there's no fucking way you, you feel that excited running. Like no way. (laughs) (laughs) There's, you've never felt the euphoria of like when you break that sweat, um, and you're like, oh man, that's finally, I just feel so much better. I get it from team sports, which I haven't played since college. So it's been a while. Like I, that, that sense of like, we're all working together and camaraderie and stuff, but as an individual exercising, I've never felt this is a body high. It's like a, it's like you hit a, you, you get past the point of it sucking and you're like, Oh, this was, I'm so glad I made it this far. Yeah. You don't ever feel it. Never experienced that once in my life. (laughs) Yeah. That's too bad. Yep. Uh, what else? Uh, well related to routine, I, I also just, was reflecting on Sunday. And one thing that's really important to me is to continue to progress my coding skills. Um, I really have a good base now and I've, I like, I have some wins to share related to that, but, um, the, the but del- we talked about deliberate practice being the best way to master a new skill. So I signed up for another West boss coding course called JavaScript 30. And it's basically a daily exercise that, um, he sends or you try you, you log in to take, um, that's vanilla basic JavaScript. And it takes about 15 minutes on average for me to get done every day. So I do that first thing. Huh. Um, and so far so good. Like I, I'm able to pretty much look at what he, for the most part, I'm able to look at what the outcome is and then build it and then watch the video to see if I did it right. Which is totally different than where I was when I first started, uh, learning this stuff. That's awesome. Uh- 
So if you go back a hundred episodes, you were in the place of like, I, whatever tech I need, either it's got to be no code or maybe I need a technical founder. You're getting good enough at this. Do you think there's a chance that you fully code your app and just never have another like technical person working on it with you? Never, I think is the wrong word, but for a long, I think that I can take this way further than I ever imagined. And I do think that I could build a, I can see myself, I don't know how many years from now, but building a, a a fully coded application at some point. Um, I, I sort of, maybe that's overconfidence, but it feels like I kind of get the pieces now and I'm, I have the basic ability to push through some of the hard stuff and, and get it done. That's awesome. I, I I admire the hell out of it. I, I think like at our age, it's rarer and rarer to have like learn a major skill like that and actually get good enough. It's one thing to be like, I'm going to learn Spanish on this app on my phone, but never actually get that good at it. But like to get good enough to be to do it professionally is pretty rare to learn a skill like that at 35 plus. So that's that's very cool. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, it's, <laughs> it's exciting. Uh, I have a lo- I'm chomping at the bit to get to sales and marketing mm-hmm. now, now that I've sort of the big win is checking this box on like, I know how to, to code. And so it's like, okay, now let's get all the things done that can need to be coded so I can go do what I'm really, really good at and make some money. Yeah. So how far off is it? Like, why don't you start now? I want to talk to this about, about this with you. Um, I'm afraid that it could go on. So tell me what's going on with you and then we can maybe finish up the episode talking about that. Sure. Uh, so right before this, I just got out of uh, Lesson Knowing CRM's first leadership team meeting uh, so from noon to four, it was a four-hour meeting, which I never do more than a one-hour meeting. So this was a real marathon. <laughs> was it in person? Uh, no, it was not. So one of the people on the leadership team is still working remotely. So to make it so there's not like a weird dynamic, we all took it remotely. That's smart. Yeah. Um, cool. But yeah, I talked about this months ago that we kind of formed this leadership team uh, and stuff like that. But this was the first time we actually met. Um, t- t- how'd it go? Yeah, really, really good. So literally, like I hung up and immediately created like we started this podcast. So I haven't really had time to process it or anything. But my kind of immediate reaction is, first of all, it's just like emotionally very cool because prior to this, if a problem came up and by problem, I don't mean like necessarily anything super wrong, but maybe like opportunity is a better way to say it. If an opportunity came up, I could delegate that, but it was my decision to delegate it. Like I didn't really have the right group of people to be like, what should we do about this? And there's kind of like, it's kind of draining everything that comes in to be like, okay, I have to, I mean, you you know, you're, you're a solo founder right now, but, uh, just having a group of people to kind of like, to make it like, well, this isn't, if we mess this up, this is not 100% my fault, you know, (laughs) like someone has reviewed this decision and didn't argue with me. Yeah. You've got some people to share the burden, the leadership burden with you. Yeah. Yeah. So it was cool. And the four hours is a long time. Yeah, I mean, we took a bunch of breaks and okay. stuff. Um, I think it'll probably be like quarterly or like between two and four times a year we'll do this and we'll see. I don't know. Maybe we should be doing less frequent shorter meetings or more frequent shorter meetings. But I kind of like being able to really go down a rabbit hole. I feel like too often with one hour meetings, you like want to talk about something, but you're like, well, we don't if we do this, we're not going to get to the stuff we need to get to. So I like I like a long meeting every once in a while. That's that. That you'll you'll iterate on that yeah. based on what works. What you you were saying that a pattern. Yeah. So again, I need to kind of process what happened, but like my basically 
there were a lot of big topics that came up and many of them we didn't 100% resolve, but a pretty common thing that happened is like we made concrete decisions about small, easy, iterative things. And then we kind of moved the ball forward on the bigger picture stuff, but didn't make decisions, which I think is all you need. If, if every three or six months you say, we're going to make a few changes that move us in the right direction, and then we're going to advance the bigger conversation. I, I think that's the right way versus like, we're going to have groundbreaking changes every three months, I think is probably not a healthy way to be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm excited. I've got a long list of like little follow up things I need to do now. Did, was there any sort of, you probably can't, I don't want to put you on the spot recorded, mm-hmm. but, but what, was there any sort of surprises about the meeting that were good or bad or were, was everyone pretty comfortable, uh, showing up and, or, or was there anyone that was sort of, was, was there a timidness that you had to break through to begin with, or was everyone sort of coming and ready to go? <laughs> I think probably people needed to get used to it. Just like you need to have a voice in this more than other interactions at the company. But I think everyone was pretty prepared for it. Last week, I mentioned that I sent the agenda out for this. And in it, I kind of said, here's what you should expect. I actually think that went very, very well. One quick note, in our podcast episode last week, I used the word secret. I said, one of the things about this is like, things are secret. Multiple people reached out to me and were like, hey, idiot, the word is confidential. Um, And yes, it's confidential, not secret. (laughs) We're not like keeping secrets. We're just respecting people's privacy. But anyway, no, uh, sending that. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing. It is, but they mean different. Yes. And I actually had um, the email I sent out to them said confidential just on the podcast. I used the word secret, which was the wrong word to use. So. (laughs) Anyway, uh, no, but sending that agenda out, I think was really good. Everyone knew the topics in advance and everyone was like, they knew what I wanted from them and were ready to go. So I think it actually went really smoothly. That's great. Congratulations, man. That's a big, big milestone. Thank you. We'll, we'll see how it continues over time, but yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good about it. Um, (laughs) I wanted to give a little update a few weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, maybe I said I made some changes to the Less Annoying Business, which is my content site, the newsletter sign up. And I was like, man, conversions are through the roof because of this change I made. It was, uh, there's a term for this. I forget what it is. When you make changes, they just like tend to work for a bit and then they settle back down where they were. I haven't had a newsletter sign up in over a week. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that was a mirage. <laughs> Well, I feel like your volume's not high enough, maybe on the traffic side to know for sure. So maybe yeah. it did. Maybe it did. I don't think it got worse. Like it looks yeah. right now, like the last week, it looks worse. I think probably it had no impact at all, is my guess. But <laughs> what are you, I feel what, like, yeah. Go, go ahead. Well, when you when you bring the wins, you also have to bring like, oh, yeah, yeah. never Oops. mind. So yep, I had yep. to mention it. <laughs> well, do, do you, do you, are you, are you actively focused on? growing traffic right now or is it more just like one one post a week get the newsletter out and then let that sit for a minute i'd say it's similar to what we're doing with this podcast which is like i'm trying and i am like occasionally tweaking things but the main thing i'm tweaking is the way i'm making the content not the promotion um you know my hope is if i write enough and it's good stuff over time we'll get a little traffic from it the go out and promote less annoying business strategy is i would say a fallback if product-led growth works, I have no interest in ever going out and working on SEO or link building or anything. Um, but it's more like I want this platform to exist so that if I have free time and I'm stuck on product-led growth, I can invest in it. Right now, growth is 
fucking awesome. Um, and I'm not, I'm like more interested in diving into product and stuff. That's great. But you've yeah. got this system sort of rolling and building uh, domain expertise and sort of a playground for some of your thoughts yeah. that uh, is fulfilling. So, and you're yeah. trying to, sounds like you're trying to tweak it so that it's sustainable. The, the content production process is sustainable. And uh, once you have that done, then you can, you reevaluate. Yeah. I mean, there's so much value in having, in writing 500 or a thousand words a week and putting it publicly online that I don't, I, I'm in no way do I want to stop doing that. I, I think we should call that out. That's, I think when I started my newsletter, my primary reason for starting it was to create a forcing function for writing. And yeah, there is very little downside and a whole lot of upside, um, in writing 500 to a thousand, forcing yourself to write 500 to a thousand published words per, mm -hmm. uh, per week. That stuff compounds in a yeah. lot of different ways. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm feeling good about it, but it's definitely backburnered relative to other stuff. That's the that's the best sort of convert kit sales pitch I've heard is like, <laughs> like sign up for convert kit, create a personal website, and for, force yourself to write a 500 to a thousand word newsletter every week, and look back in a year and see if you didn't if you regret that. I doubt you will. Yeah. Uh, do you follow Patio Eleven or um, Patrick McKenzie? Mm -hmm. uh, one of the th I, I forget the exact number he says, but one of his things is like the key, or not the key, but one of the ways to succeed is to put a hundred thousand words online. That's it. <laughs> doesn't matter what the words are. Doesn't matter what the topic is. If you put a hundred thousand words online, it's almost impossible not to like have some opportunity fall in your lap from that. We'll see. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I also have to give. Um, an update on that less knowing business. So I made the, uh, the course website, like, or the, the website course, how to make a website newsletter that goes um, on your website. Yeah. It's on yeah. the website. It's a website based course about how to build, how a website. to build a website. Yes. It's yeah. very inception. -y. Um, yeah. <laughs> I had my first person ever, we've talked before, like nobody was completing it. First person ever emailed me and was like, I just built a website for my small business. It wouldn't exist without your course. Thank you. And yeah, feels great. <laughs> oh man, that is such a huge win. Yeah. That's that's awesome. That goes back to sort of that phone call you had where you walked the person through. I think that's if you can create those moments, oof, yeah. I like that. This is just one person. If you impact one person and can celebrate it and feel good about it, I think that's like a lot of people who tend to start things but not follow through with them, this is what's missing is like they start thinking about scale too quickly. And uh, yeah, I feel I feel energized. Like I spent hours and hours and hours on this and it probably wasn't a good investment of time. But one person built a website and yeah, that it's not great, but like that kind of makes it justified. Yep. <sighs> all right. Are all your topics kind of tied into your big one? Should I just keep going here? Keep going. All right. Um, so we're dealing with, uh, a, an issue, not an issue, a potential issue with less knowing CRM. Here's some context on it. So we are a CRM. Pr the primary thing we store is contact data. Um, so it's basically a souped up address book. Uh, a question you get fairly regularly from people that considering us is how many contacts can I put in the system? Our answer to this has always been, we don't put a limit on it. But the system will start to slow down. Basically, around 50,000, you can start to tell it's a little slower. And probably around like 100 to 200,000, it starts to get slow enough that it'll like annoy you. And so we've always kind of been like, we don't need to put a limit on this because no one's going to come in and put 5 million contacts in here because it just won't work. Like this, you won't be able to load a page. 
Um, we are working on some tech improvements that will change that so that some things might still break, but like mostly you could probably use the CRM with 500,000 or a million contacts or more. Uh, and now we're kind of debating, do we want to put a limit on like a one user $15 per month account? Should they be able to put in millions of contacts or should we limit this? Hmm. Um, I don't expect you to answer this, but like, how would you go about approaching this? I don't understand the technical costs of fixing it. Um, so is there a high technical cost of just dealing with that situation when it comes and building, making the product better? Um, I think the biggest, so you're saying like, let people add as many contacts as they want. And then like, if someone puts in a million, worry about it then. I think the problem is, is that right? Well, I, I guess I'm not really opining. I'm, it's more of just a question of how much does it cost to make it so that this is a non-issue from a technical um, standpoint? Oh, is it, well, is it possible to have someone have uh, 10, 10 million records and it'd be fast for them to search? Okay, so it's the search will be fast with probably 10 million. I think other aspects of it, like um, we have a duplicate detection thing that like tell like it basically loops through all your contacts and it's like, does it look like any two are the same? That will break like it's just that's not optimized. The technical cost of making everything work with that many contacts would be very high. It would be very hard to do that. Um, the but yeah, we're we're gonna have solved the main thing, which is like, can you have a list of ten million contacts and have that list pull up relatively quickly? I think that will be solved. Now, how much do we want to store ten million contacts worth of data for a fifteen dollars user account? That's one question. Like, what's the? I mean, what's the most any user has right now? Probably five hundred thousand. Okay. Um, and those are multi-user accounts, and it's like really slow. For, like, probably our account is pretty close to the highest, and we have about five hundred thousand in it. Is it slow? It's yeah. I, I don't. I can't pull up the contact list. It takes twenty seconds. I just stay uh, away from that page. But that'll. Um, but you're fixing that. I'm fixing that now. If you put, if you had like five hundred thousand and put them all into a pipeline, the pipeline report would also be really slow, and we're not fixing that. Mm-hmm. So it's just the main contact list. One of our concerns here is uh, expectations. Like right now, what sometimes happens is people don't ask us what the limit is, and they get to two hundred thousand, and they're like, "Hey, this is really slow," and we're like, "Yeah, sorry, it's slow." And they're like, well, I just spent months investing and building out my CRM and now I can't use it. Thanks. (laughs) Right. That really sucks. (laughs) And like, that would be even worse here if it's like, well, now it doesn't break until 2 million, but like, as soon as you add them all to your pipeline, then it breaks. Um, So the main argument in favor of limiting this isn't that like, I'm worried about people abusing, not having a storage limit or something. It's more like not like if someone has that use case we probably will fail one way or another. And I kind of want to prevent them from investing too much time. Well, I mean, there's other ways to do that than placing a limit if that's the true motive. Like, yeah. I mean, you can, when they get to a certain number of contacts, you know, say, hey, uh, before you do this, the, you know, you could put disclaimers across the whole website to, to avoid. There's ways to do that without putting a hard gap. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So that's one thing we talked about. Do you like, do other ways come to mind other than just like warning them when they hit the threshold? Fixing the technical issues. Yeah, that's not happening. Yeah. So, I, I <laughs> and to be clear, most other CRMs have the same limit. It's not common if, for a CRM it, to be handle, be able to handle that. Yeah. I, it feels like this is a, it seems like a really tiny minuscule problem right now. Yeah. 
and you can always, this is, it's kind of like, you can always go when, when you're dealing with someone and you're upset, you can always go to asshole. Right. Um, and so it feels like this is one of those situations where it's like, you just need to maybe improve communication around like expectations around what happens at context without putting in a limit. I don't know. And then if you, but cause putting in a limit to solve such a small problem, here's my, here's why I'm hesitant. Let me explain why I'm hesitating to say, put a limit on when you put a limit on something it affects your, for, f- that affects one out of a million users. It, you, you then have a limit that you have to explain to the next million users you add when only mm-hmm. one of them will actually <laughs> be a problem. So yeah. that's why I'm hesitant to put on a, I feel like the the negatives of putting for, for the, the 900,000 people who will never care about this now that I have to worry about a limit um, is worse than solving for the one. Okay. I, th- I think I agree. And that's more or less where we landed. Although th- there's also the question of, do we put in the work of doing that other messaging um, of like, do we email someone when they cross 550,000? And like, it's not a super trivial thing to do. It's not like a big project, but it is work that again, to your point, it's super minor. So we're kind of leaning towards maybe just not doing anything. <laughs> if, I mean, where, where it feels like the place to put that is uh, maybe like when people, like where are the places that people go to add contacts? Well, like, so, okay. We've yeah. talked before yeah. about a really, when, when you had that problem with your, uh, one of your customers had a dental plan that they ended up getting charged something they didn't expect. When we were having a conversation about this, this, this thing came up, which is like, there's all these gotchas that can go wrong, but you can't just like put that text somewhere because there are a hundred potential things. This is one of them and people are not going to read a hundred things. So it's, it's unfortunate, but I don't think you can just be like, here's a thing that might go wrong. Well, I'm just, I, I'm thinking that, that uh, you might have um, when someone adds a contact and they get start getting close to where performance will degrade, you know, putting, putting a little just notice yeah. saying, Hey, you're at this contact, you know, contact number, you're, you're going to start to grade. You could do, put it there on the single contact ad and then you could, but only if it matters. And then maybe it's kind of like a warning. And then on the, you do have a bulk upload or import, yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah that's, that's probably place another to place to put it. Yeah, I don't think you have to worry about it on the individual contact page. It's really on the bulk import, probably. That's fair. Yeah, no one's going to manually add five million. If they contacts. do, they deserve whatever <laughs> that is coming to them. <laughs> yeah, you know, a surprisingly, I'm sure there's like some good pattern for solving this, but a surprisingly annoying technical challenge I run into all the time is like I want to show someone a message once. Hmm. Because it's like, well, am I really going to like make a database field to track that they saw this message? And I'm sure you could just build a framework that handles this generically, but we haven't put that effort in. There are so many little ways like this. Another version of this is the first time someone looks at a contact, I want to be like, hey, you haven't changed their pipelines yet. <laughs> uh, just to like point it out. But I don't want it to show up every time. I need to just build something for that. Well, I don't know is, why I'm complaining. Well, one about thing this. that we just worked through is making me think of, I was listening to um, my first millionaire, which I, is it my first millionaire or my first million million million. Okay. I really, I, I like those guys. They're entertaining. I especially like, is it Sean? Is that how you say his yeah. name? Um, I, I think I really like his, the way he thinks. Um, and he's a pretty good storyteller. He had a, a short like, or mini episode th- in the last week called uh, the burrito test or something like that. Um, and it's called the one at one month, one week, one day, one hour framework. And the idea is you, you come up with a, 
problem, like a binary problem like this, where it's like, should we implement this project that's going to take months and months and months? And you, you ask, okay, well, what's the one month version of that? And so, you know, then you're like, okay, it's mm. this. And then what's the one week version of that? And then you go, okay, well, what's this? What's the one day version of that? Okay, what's the one thing you could go do right now in this like hour uh, to, to test whether maybe you could solve that problem? I feel <laughs> like that's, we often find ourselves working through that when one of us brings like a big decision. We always go, okay, how do, we, how do we break that down into something we could test in a pretty short amount of time? Right. Why is it called the burrito test? What does that have to do with the burrito? Because uh, he told the story uh, was around a promotion test where they were trying to figure out how to reach a lot of students. And this great, this guy had an idea about how to go get a bunch of students that would take three months to implement. Mm. And so they'd ask one month, one week, one day, one hour. And eventually it was just, hey, let's go to lunch today at the mall and hold up a sign and uh, in front of uh, uh, whatever it's called, like Taqueria 27 or whatever. and and you know, hey, uh, we'll give you a free burrito if you're, you know, a high school student, and you'll test our app. And hmm. that led to all sorts of opportunity for them. Interesting, cool. Yeah, I know what the one day one here is, which is just like code this one thing one off. Um, that's what we've done every time in the past. But it's anyway. I don't need to bore you with that. Um, we've got one other topic here, but I'm probably going to skip it. So let's dive into your big thing. Gosh, I really want to know about this. Okay, it's very, <laughs> we can it's, do it. It's mysterious. It's mysterious. I'm not sure how much I can share because it's someone else's project. But um, yeah, on Sunday, so my parents are staying with me right now because they have bats in their house. Oh, gosh, that's terrible. Seems like a nightmare. Um, but so I was talking to my dad and he's got a, an idea for a business slash kind of hobby project somewhere in between the two. And um, I just thought, you know, I was excited about the idea. And so I like on Sunday, we we're just like, well, let's get as much done today as we can. So we spent a few hours on Sunday just like working on it. And it was fun helping my dad uh, execute on something. Is it a software idea, web idea? What kind of idea is it? It is, I would say, primarily built around uh, community. Oh, cool. He probably wouldn't mind me sharing it, but given that it's not launched yet, I, I probably, I won't just because I'm not sure. But it's basically the idea of he, he has a lot of people who admire him. He's had a pretty interesting career in life and like wants to, uh, people want to basically have more contact with him and he wants a way to like give them an opportunity to learn and share experiences with him. That's awesome. Yeah. Did he's pretty prolific on LinkedIn, isn't he? No, he had one post recently that got ridiculous engagement, but otherwise you've, I that's don't know probably that the ever, only post I saw. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I just assumed that was probably normal. That's not normal, no. Okay, cool. But he, he's a professor, so he has like a million former students who look up to him. So he's got a pretty big audience, despite really doing nothing to like build it in the traditional online sense. That's really interesting. Uh, one of the side effects of becoming a, a, a teacher, you you do build an audience over time. That's interesting. Yeah. If you're uh, a good teacher. <laughs> yeah, if you're a good teacher, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, that's cool. Well, are you going to provide updates on that as you work on it, or is it more of the, is this sort of a one-off thing? Um, for me, it's probably one off. Like I kind of helped, you know, I, I know more than he does about how to get a website launched and get, like, I got his email set up and he didn't take your course. He actually did, but I was kind of like, let me just go in and do it for you. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) Uh, No, he, I I didn't even like get all the content in there, but he, I think he can take it from here. Um, I feel weird talking about it because I know he's listening to this and hey dad. Uh, but (laughs) that was was tender, (laughs) very personal moment there. Uh, for me, I would guess I will not like do another full day's worth of work, but we'll see. 
but it's it's just fun to like stop working on your main project for a day and just like do the easy stuff on some other projects. <laughs> Are you taking a cut of the proceeds like you did with your mom's blog? I should. Oh, I got such a good deal with that blog. Um, no, this time I think he can, he can take it all. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't really have any insights or anything to give, but it's just fun. Like, I, sorry, maybe I do. Um, the, the world is too focused on monetizing everything and hobbies are fun. I don't personally have enough hobbies because I, I love lessening serum so much, but like working on something with no intention of financially benefiting from it is a good thing to do every once in a while. And who knows where it will go. Yep. Indeed. All right. Your stuff. All right. I had a huge win coding. Um, I, last week I updated and said, I can't get this Airtable script to work with SendGrid. I was not understanding how promises work. Um, and async await, I was misusing async await. So once I f- realized that and had the aha on promises, so I understand how promises work now, which is great. Nice. Um, uh, so anyway, I was able to get it to work and it's beautiful. Um, I can basically with a click of a button, send my monthly update emails and there it's impressive. And I can, there's a, the, the cool thing though here is more about what it enables for the future, because now I've built some base level scripting in Airtable. I can reuse and repurpose that within Airtable. So that led me to my next uh, task, which was to uh, build a script to automate the policy verification process. So this comes into play, this this script comes into play multiple times um, during the journey, but every month um, at least. So when someone signs up, um, they are asked, what's your current health insurance situation? If they have health insurance, they're um, prompted to add their insurance uh, policy to their dashboard and their leg up health account and upload their insurance card. And then we promise to verify that and put a digital insurance card up for them. Um, so we would submit that information to an API, get the policy information back, confirm it was active, when it was started, what the deductible is, where their status, and then send them an email. And then every month uh, for every policy that a, that a user has added, we send each user um, in that SendGrid email a, a, a policy status update along with where they stand with their deductible and their out-of-pocket maximum. And we, so, so the SendGrid, once we have the data, the SendGrid script, you know, basically sends, but the way we get the data is via this policy verification script. Um, I've been doing it a manual call every single time and manually updating the information. So like an all day sort of project. I got the thing working in the sandbox. Everything was automated. I went to go turn it live. And I learned that a few weeks ago, um, which I haven't had a policy verification for a week, a few weeks ago, the, uh, my account was audited. And because I have such low volume with this API vendor, they froze my account because it's been a year since I signed up with them. And I have to, and so anyway, they turned it off. And so I can't go Did they email you? No, they didn't even tell me. So, and I'm small potatoes. I, I am, my use case is completely outside of what they focus on. I'm not really upset with them. I don't like the way they do business and I'm not a fan of them as a company and I will not say their name. Um, but, but, uh, and I don't really want to work with them. Let's just be very clear about that. But I have a freaking email that goes out tomorrow that relies <laughs> on this. And so now I'm at this situation where I'm like calling other vendors. I'm trying to get them to reinstate me. They have this huge questionnaire they want me to fill out. That's like enterprise, like your enterprise questionnaire. And mm-hmm. it's like, I don't even know the answers to have these questions. And so, um, and it doesn't even apply to me because this isn't what I'm using it for. Um, right. and, and so I've, you know, long story short, 
big fail because now like I can't actually send send the emails <laughs> that I that I freaking automated. Uh, that's uh, terrible. So, so the email sending script still works. You just don't have the data you need, and you can't do it manually either because you're using the API to do it yes. manually. Yep. Shit. Shit is right. So this has me. So whenever something like this happens, I just want to say whenever something like this happens, I try to look at the bright side and go, "Why did this happen?" What if this didn't happen? Why would I be glad that this happened? And I am seeing, I'm trying to have a positive mind on this, but the big decision I have, so I've called, let me back up. I've called other vendors and I've got quotes. It's way more expensive for the people who actually solve for my use case. Starts at 200 bucks a month. Right now I'm paying $10 a month. So, uh, and that's for a per thousand requests. So basically... 200 bucks for a thousand requests? Yes, per month. Damn. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's expensive. How does that scale? Does that like. It's, it's 25 cents per policy, basically, which is nothing. I mean, that's not nothing if for a freemium product. For a freemium product, yes. But, well, yes, you're right. Um, but let's back up. Uh, I, for a freemium product, yes. But, I want, I want to just kind of, let me get the context and we can talk about what mm-hmm. the right decision is. It's expensive. I can't afford that. I don't really want to spend $200 a month right now. Plus I have to re-implement the API. I'm not even sure how it works, like what the differences are in the data. Um, I'm not going to be able to, could I pull this off in a day? Yeah, I could pull it off in a day. But basically I have a monthly update to send tomorrow. So it has me thinking, okay, what can I learn from this? What if I just stop sending the monthly update was one question. Like, and mm-hmm. what would happen there? And I, I really don't like that idea because there's a lot of really important, like, especially for clients getting a monthly update email, asking them certain questions around like their, like whether their incomes change, that sort of thing's really important. Well, just stay uh, in top of mind. Stay in top of mind's important. Telling them that their policy is active. Tell me, tell them that their premiums past due if it is, um, these kinds of things. So for clients, I have to send the monthly update email. There's, there's no question. Do you know that information without the API though, like their premium being passed due and stuff? For clients, yes. I know whether their policy is active. I know what whether their policy is passed due. Um, I know all the information. I do not know their deductible status hmm. and I do not know their out-of-pocket maximum status. So the main thing that I lose with the policy verification is for client. The only thing I lose for clients is where they stand with their deductible and where they stand with their out-of-pocket maximum. And you're getting that other stuff through an API or are you still manually updating that? I get it through a, a, ex, a file I can export. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. I'm already updating that manually. That's already so, part, that's built, that's part, updating that as part of the monthly service that we provide. So there's a separate process that happens at the first of the month um, th- that goes through that. So, okay, so let me let me make sure I understand here. Like, for someone who who is a client or a customer or whatever, you are their official insurance agent. And because you're their insurance agent, you have access to certain data. But for someone who's like a freemium user, not a real customer, they gave you their insurance card, but you're not actually linked as their insurance agent. So you have to use a different method to get this information. Correct. Um, okay. Now, if they, if that, here's the, here's another gotcha. If the policy, if they're not a client, but their policy is a marketplace plan, they can give me permission to go import their marketplace policy. And, and even if I'm not their agent, mm-hmm. help them help them with it. So there, for, if it's a marketplace policy, I still can send whether it's active or not. 
if it's not a market, if it's an individual policy that's purchased directly from the insurance company, i.e., not a marketplace plan, I can't do that. Um, if it's a non-individual plan, there's no, yeah, there's nothing I can do. So for your freemium customers, are you doing anything particularly valuable aside from sending this monthly email with the deductible numbers? Nope. Okay. So got it. <laughs> so here's the thing I want to workshop. Should I continue? I'm going to send them. I need to send the monthly update email. Um, to my clients. So I'm going to continue with that. But uh, uh, the real question is, should I continue with the policy verification? Yes or no? And if if not, if yes, I have to go implement this thing with another vendor or wait, or try to work through this issue with this current vendor, which doesn't look too awesome. Um, the uh, If it's no, then there's a whole slew of other questions. Yeah. Because like this is... This is certainly leading me to think like, does this mean there is no more freemium? Uh, yeah. Um, I think there's no more freemium unless you have a marketplace policy is where I'm leaning. How many people have marketplace policies? Like what percentage? Uh, of the people that I, that, that I want to become my... So who do I want to serve with a freemium product? People who can become clients, mm-hmm. right? So most of the freemium uh, users are not potential clients currently. They're people like you. Um my wife. Uh, okay. They're people with group policies. So does, okay, sorry, let me rephrase. What percentage of people with individual insurance policies have marketplace policies? Good question. Um, and I'm going to say, I'm going to say 90%. Okay. So, and, and growing, um, I don't know the answer to that question. Let me be very clear, but I'm going to guess 90%, but it should be a hundred percent. Okay. So, like, the so client- you're serving almost everyone that could actually make you money by doing this. Here's where I get that number. I have 37 clients two of them don't have marketplace plans. Yeah, okay. Because I do kind of wonder, like, okay, let's go back to basics. Let's do the burrito thing. Um, (laughs) This isn't quite the same thing, but like if you, Rick, just decided to be an insurance agent with no software behind you, no automation, no APIs, no APIs, nothing, you'd be a successful insurance agent, right? Because you know your shit. You'd, You'd be attentive to customers. People are out there doing it much worse than you and they're successful. So like you could do that. Yep. Um, which makes me think like, do you need freemium? Do you need like software aside from automating your service? Do you have to have a product that people can consume that is software? And I kind of, the answer has to be no, you don't need it. Now maybe you want it. Uh, do I need it? No. Do I want it from a scalability and automation standpoint? Yes. Okay, but so like you want it so that you can provide the service to your customers with less effort, but do you want it, like right now it's kind of serving two purposes, right? One is automating your service, one is lead lead gen, and it kind of seems like you could go, if you could be a successful insurance agent with no software, you certainly don't need it for lead gen. So you're you're working through this the same way I started working through it today. And what's I just want to take a step back and go, if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't be thinking like this. And I actually think like, this is what I was talking about when it's like, I try to think, see opportunities. I think this is actually going to put me on a better path. And I'm, so I'm leaning towards no. Can I explain why? Sure. Okay. There, uh, there are downsides. First of all, I'll I'll go with upsides. There are two major upsides. The first is a simplified monthly update. My send, sending monthly updates, I like literally. I come into my SendGrid script. I change the SendGrid script to to take in the field to remove the fields that were relying on the policy verification. I add some new stuff to make it a little bit better uh, to kind of make up for that. Um, and then I click that script button 
and it's like one, it's one, that email is ready every month, like already. I don't have to do anything. So my monthly update process takes a minute now, which is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the, for clients, um, I can send them, I can't send them the deductible, um, usage, but I can send them what their deductible total is and remind them of that and what their out of pocket is. And I can provide a link for them to log into their insurance company portal to see their actual usage. So I can sort of make it easy for them to check that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of address what's going away. Um, the, the, uh, other, the major upside though, is my business gets so much simpler. I become a marketplace like insurance plan provider. And is that, yeah, I a hundred percent, but like a year ago, if this had come up, I think you would have been like, I don't, you were saying like, I don't want to be an insurance agent. I'm still not. You're closer though, right? You're less of a software company in this world. I'm, I'm building a productized service. The only thing that's changing is I'm getting more focused mm. instead of saying, oh, you have health insurance. Come on in. I'm saying if you have a marketplace policy, come on in. Nothing else yeah. really changes. Fair. Um, does this limit other stuff in the future? Like your product isn't fully where I imagine the like the ten year vision would have it. Does this limit anything there? I don't think it limits anything. In fact, what I realized about policy verification is next year at this time I can come back and say, "Do I want to spend two hundred dollars a month and bring it back?" Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is like I do think that. Um, so I'm I'm one of your freemium users that you can never make money off of because I have a group plan. But I do like think it's valuable to see your deductible usage there. Is it something you have to have right now? No, but I do think like it, it's such an easy win for you to send that out. And and like we said, twenty five cents per policy for a paying customer, no problem. For a free customer, problem. I interviewed a, f- a few clients today just like to get an idea of or surveyed, I should say, to get an idea of like what would that mean for that going away. Um, I asked if the deductible and out-of-pocket data went away from the monthly updates, would that upset you? Is it A, meh, B, darn it, or C, uh, that sucks. Mm -hmm. And I got that sucks across the board. It's like Mm. the one they look forward to it. It reminds me that what I'm paying for it, like knowing that I, there's like two scenarios. One is we've already hit our out-of-pocket maximum. It reminds me to go spend money. Um, We haven't hit, we haven't spent any money on our deductible. That makes me happy. Um, if, if it goes up, I know my, I know I need to talk to my wife. Yeah. I don't think you need it, but I think you want it, but there's a separate thing of like, do you want it for, do you want this freemium thing at all? And I, I don't, I don't hate the idea of being like, you know, you want it, make me your agent. Like this is a valuable thing that you need to pay for. And and I think it's one of those, but this is a secondary thing. This is like next year I've built the business. I've, I've got this thing sustainable. Yeah. How do we make it better? This isn't a, this isn't like you say, it's a want. This is a, how do we make what we already have working better question for another time? Not, I don't need this to go grow the business. I agree. But it also seems in terms of product, things you could work on high priority. In terms of product, I, I, in terms of yeah, product. yeah, I don't think you yeah. should be working on product right now. I think you should yes. spend the rest of the year going and getting customers. That's, but like when you come back to product, to this me, this is, feels like top of the list. I yeah, I think you're right. Yes, I think including you're right. you might disagree with me on this. If if I were in your shoes, I'd put this ahead of uh, leg up benefits. Mm. 
<laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> so leg up benefits, leg up benefits with, with two customers makes uh, 25%, like makes a lot more money per customer. Yeah. And let's pause for a second, just because it's been a while since we've talked about what these two yeah. different products are. So like leg up health is you're an insurance agent with a productized service. Leg up benefits is you're selling a benefits package to an, a company. Yep. And leg up benefits generates uh, leads 60 to 70% of the time for leg up health. Yeah. The, the only reason I say this is like, I think you can go sell leg up benefits without product improvements too. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> you so, don't so, okay. <laughs> so, so, so I'm actually okay with that now. Something big happened. Despite this big failure, there was a big win. And that is, I now have uber confidence in my ability to make leg up health, the technology for leg up health, the technology required for the next couple of years for leg up health and leg up benefits work. Yeah. And that really sets me free. I didn't realize how much fear I had around getting like getting to a place where I needed to be able to do the, some of the coding things because of the scale I reached because of sales um, and being stuck and having to pay, for, like not being able to fix that. My having, being in a situation where I need to, br- I have to bring someone on to fix that and not having the time to invest, to teach myself how to do it. Mm-hmm. That was a really scary, like nightmarish <laughs> scenario that I kept worrying about. I don't have that worry anymore. So, to, to make sure I'm interpreting it correctly, to, to zoom back, like it's been a few months, I think, since we've talked about this, but uh, you were saying first you're going to make, you're going to learn to code and make some improvements to leg up health, your individual consumer product. Then you are going to build out leg up benefits, which currently you basically don't have any product at all. It's like a spreadsheet and, you know, it's all manual. Then you are going to go sell. You're saying that maybe one of the reasons you felt the need to build like a benefits as a product first is you were afraid that you couldn't and you didn't want to get in some kind of hole where you like you had to build it but you didn't know how. Yep. And now Same, you know how. But with both leg up and health and leg up yeah. benefits. Those are my two big things keeping me back from focusing on growth. Now I I still think there's a couple of things I need to do leg up benefits that are non they're not really technical, they're more sales and marketing related. Um not product related, more sales and marketing related, but um but uh yeah, I don't have I don't feel like I need to go to learn how to code anymore. Okay. So if it does that mean the plan is I assume that the sales and marketing you're saying you need like a website for like a benefits and stuff like that. Place for people to sign up. Yeah. Fine. Go ahead and do that, but like are you ready to 2 weeks from now go into marketing mode? Yes, I think so. Um the there I still need Okay, there's one thing I need <laughs> to fix. So you know that leg up health webflow collections issue? That's mm-hmm. I do need to fix that. That sure. is on the list. I need to fix that. Um but then I also, but this is saying no to this actually creates a lot of work. So like there's some downsides of saying no to policy verifications. I have to like communicate this change and take away something from existing users. I have to tell people like you, like, I don't even know, like I have to think through how to communicate that to someone like you. Yeah. Cause you're offering me absolutely no value at this point. Yep. Do I spam you with like a, an email that says, Hey, you have a policy that I'm unable to verify every month until you until you decide to tell me to stop? Or do I preemptively say, I'm going to cancel your account for you so you don't have to? Can you tell who could potentially be? A, like, I can't be a customer yes. both because I'm a group and because I'm uh, not I a already have them segmented. Okay. I would, people like me, I would just email me and be like, you know, sorry, this is outside of my control. <laughs> the connection severed by. Yeah. And for the other ones, I'd be like, okay, I want to keep providing value to you, but you need to be a customer. And put them on a drip campaign or something. 
That's you'd, work. So, so, you, you, so you'd push all non-clients users out of the system and say, listen, um, you, only clients get accounts now. Yeah. I mean, you don't have anything to offer non-clients. I do if they're on the marketplace. I can tell them whether they're active right, or not. Right. Do you think that's enough value? For what? Feels, well, to keep for, sending them an email? To, to acquire anyone new. To, to be worth supporting this. Like I kind of feel like it like just kill freedom no entirely. Cost. There's no cost to supporting it. Okay. I get. I, I could go either way. I, I think it doesn't matter. I think okay. five years from now, you're not going to look back at these 50 or however many people and be like, wow, that really changed the business one way or the other. You're not making any money off of them. But you want to handle it the right way and you don't want... Oh, sure. You don't want to, you don't want to communicate in a way that like creates more work. So What so, I would do though, yeah. you have a very legitimate bad guy here. Yeah. And you can just be like, listen, my plan was to serve you for free. There, there are technical changes outside of my control. I 100% want to keep doing this, but the only way for me to do that is for you to make me the agent of record. I think that's a very reasonable thing. That's, I'm good with that for, for, the, for, yeah. for, the, for the people in Utah that have individual policies. Um, I can't do that for you. So I just, I think I'm going to you and saying, I would have done this, but, I, but, I'm yeah. gonna, but, but I'm going to close the account. Is that the call to action? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. It would be different if you were like planning on expanding nationwide in the next six months. But like, you just need to be focused on Utah anyway. Like these people aren't giving you anything. So let's fly back up again. Um, I think the big realization here is sometimes things happen for a reason um, and it's okay. I think that I'm going to get much more, a much simpler business as a result um, and much more focused. Uh, and I think it'll actually lead to more sales in Q4 than would have otherwise, because mm-hmm. I'm going to have more time focused on the things that generate cash and generate money versus things that don't. Let me ask you this. So let's say you pull away the freemium offering. You probably convert a few people. You probably have a few people who like these emails and haven't bothered to make you the agent of record. You get a little growth, but whatever, it's past you. Six months from now, you have the time to go in and pay the $200 a month and re-add this for people. What do you think the odds are that you go back to freemium after that? Or do you think you're just like, this was actually a blessing in disguise and I I, want to keep it this way? I have no idea, but I think there, I think it's probable <laughs> that you do go back to freemium that I don't, that you don't. Yeah. Yeah. That this has happened to me so many times where some constraint, I wouldn't go so far as to say everything happens for a reason. Like when, when something sucks, it sucks, but like yeah. a constraint is imposed on you and you realize I was doing all this stuff I never needed to do. And like, I just, nothing had forced me to reconsider it. You made this freemium decision so long ago you're reconsidering it. Now. I love that saying better. It's definitely a, an unforeseen, an unexpected constraint hits you and it make it causes you to rethink something that you never would have rethought. And as a result of rethinking it, your life gets so much better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like it. The, the focus of just being like, what we do is we are the agent of record for people and we help them. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like it. Well, sorry that you had this setback and that you have to send an email out tomorrow, but I think this will all be fine. Yeah, tomorrow I've got a. Yeah, I think you, when I, I, you just put something in that email, just be like, "Hey, change your pace." Here's a link to this blog post. Oh, that's smart. It. I can write a blog post about this. Thank you. I, I wouldn't have thought about. It. I'm so in the like email mode that I feel like mm-hmm. I have to email every single. Yeah, perfect. Um, this is one where I'm going to have to listen back and get some advice. <laughs> While I've got you on this, because we probably won't talk about this again, 
onboarding. Do you have any thoughts? Like this totally blows up my onboarding process. So I have to rethink mm. leg up health onboarding. But that's because like more right sick. now, someone signs up and you say, give me your policy information. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we'll verify it. How many people have, have signed up without talking to you? Lots. I mean, as paying customers. Uh, so I'll give you kind of the funnel. Probably 70 people have signed up without talking to me. Um, about half of those people have added their policies. And you're the agent of record? Um, no. And then maybe half of those are I'm agent of record on. Okay. So not not most of your customers, but not an insignificant amount. What mm. I was going to say is like, if you need to talk to people anyway, like maybe just don't make self-service a part of this right now. Yeah. And that's what I think is it's going to be, I think I'm going to, th- there are two asks here. Would you like a quote or would you like us to make the agent of record? Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to get really focused on those two being the reasons you sign up. You either sign up to get a quote or to make us the agent of record. Yeah. And if it's not one of those two things, you're not going to sign up. You're going to get on a wait list you're gonna, or you're going to realize that we're not for you. Yeah. I like that. You get people's email first because like that's lightweight and then you can follow up with them if they ghost you. But then from there you say, yeah, I just think you need to like lay the benefits on thick, right? Cause someone's going to get there and they'd be like, why would I do either of these things? And you need to like really explain it. And I feel like a good call to action here also is just a Calendly link. Like, Hey, you know, you can self-serve this if you want, but you probably don't know why or what, like we should talk. Yep. Cause I feel like it's definitely worth your time to talk to someone who already signed up. Yep. Yeah. I think that works. <sighs> well, I, thanks. I, honestly though, like, cause I went through your signup process and stuff and I, you know, you haven't optimized it and stuff and there's room for improvement, but I wouldn't, have understood what, like why I was giving you my health insurance information anyway. So I don't think you're like, I don't think it's any worse than it was this way. That's true. hundred percent. Yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, (laughs) uh, I appreciate you helping me think through that. Yeah. Good luck. I assume we'll get updates on it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, this will be the new focus for me. Um, you have anything else you want to talk about? Nope. I'm good. All right. If you like this, uh, uh, episode and you want to review past topics or show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See ya.